Hi, you're listening to another message from Sunny Hill Church. Our prayer is that these messages encourage, empower, edify, and equip you to live for Christ in 2023. Be blessed as you listen in. How's everybody doing? Let's try that again. And then let's make sure. One, two, three, four. Is this working? How's everybody doing? Good. How's everyone week been? Everyone okay? How's everyone been this week? Amazing. Amazing. So good. And it's great to be together this morning. I just want to share with you for the next three hours or so. Um, <laughs> that, thank you. That was surprisingly encouraging. Uh, did we record that? Did we get that cheer? I just need to make sure that gets on the podcast. If this is your first time at Sunny Hill. You're most welcome. We love that you're with us today. My name is Dom. I have the privilege of leading uh, this church. And um, thank you for coming. It's great to have you with us. We hope you feel at home with us. Uh, we're a little bit weird, but we like weird at this church. So we may do things and behave in ways that you're not used to, or maybe ways that you're not even comfortable with. But ultimately, it all flows from our passion for Jesus, because Jesus has quite literally changed our life. Um, and for those who are saved this morning can really testify to the fact that even though things aren't always perfect, things are a darn sight better with Jesus at the heart of our life, at the center of our life. And so uh, that's why we worship, that's why we sing, that's why some of us jump and some of us look crazy. Um, so this last week, I, uh, along with Matt Meller, have been visiting a couple of Eastern European nations, Hungary and Romania. And uh, thank you for your prayers. We tried to feed back on a daily basis what we were seeing God do. Uh, we had a wonderful time. Um, really, there was a couple of objectives. The first objective in Hungary was to connect with some other church leaders and look at the possibility of starting a missions college in Hungary with our movement to try and equip uh, the next generation to take the gospel into Europe. And so really exciting opportunities there. Um, but the bit I was most expect, excited about was the second part of the trip, which was definitely more Sunny Hill-oriented, where we visited um, a couple in Romania known as Pastor Gabriel and Anna. And I call him Gabby. I don't know whether he likes that or not, but that's what I call him. Um, and just a quality couple who planted a church in a place called Turguju. Everybody say Turguju. It means something like river market. Is that right? Market River. Okay, you see, all week I was saying to him, I'm not a missionary, I don't feel called to missionary work outside of the UK, so what that essentially means is, I don't want to live like a local for a week, I don't want to try the Romanian food, and I know all of you think that's horrendous, I can appreciate that, but I'm content with chicken dibbits, uh, dibbits? <laughs> chicken nuggets, dippers, um, chicken dibbits, that's a new one for Dragon's Den, let's take that one on the road, Luby. Um, you know, I, I, I go to these places and Matt was trying everything, you know, he, he tried whatever it was, Romanian beans, I don't know, and they kept saying, oh, you should try this, and they said, it's like, um, it's like some sort of meat that is pulled apart and wrapped in a cabbage. I'm like, no, you're okay, thank you very much. You had me at the beet meat bit, but the cabbage bit, uh, can I have the meat without the cabbage, which I think essentially is a sausage, basically, um, but all week they were trying to get me to let my hair down and embrace the Romanian culture. And I tried, but I failed miserably on a couple of occasions. Uh, last Sunday night, uh, I was preaching at a church um, called The Way Church. This was the church that was planted six months ago and uh, preached. 
had a translator. So you know how long I can be in England. Imagine having someone else repeating everything I'm saying immediately after I've said it. Uh, so, you know, they really need your prayers, this church. Um, and I was just speaking to them, trying to encourage them to really go for it, to really kind of step up and embrace the call and vision of the church. And um, one of the uh, things and the moments that happened that played out is after the service, uh, I offered to pray for people. And a number of people came down. Uh, which was great. Uh, There's probably about 40 people in the room and maybe about 15 people just wanting to be uh, filled uh, with the Spirit. It's so powerful. It was so cool. But I definitely did a Dom blunder. Okay. And, and you need to hear this because it is kind of funny and horrible all in the same moment. Um, so there was like a cluster of people wearing like beanies um, and stuff like that. And they, they come down to the front and there may be like, I don't know, 40 or so. I don't know how old they are. I shouldn't really guess this. But I'm, I'm praying. I lay my hands on. And I've got Pastor Gabriel over my shoulder interpreting what I'm praying. And I'm, Lord, bless, bless this son. Lord, I thank you for my brother in the faith. And he is translating this. And every so often he's muttering something in my ear. But I keep going. And there's a pocket of young people who are chuckling a little bit. And I'm like, Lord, thank you for this man. Thank you that he's a man of God. And, and essentially what Gabriel was whispering into my ear was, it's a lady. It's a lady. It's a lady. So I'm like, oh, okay, Jesus. Okay, next one. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Father God, thank you for this man. <laughs> You know where this is going. Matt was scarpering at this point. Thank you for this man. Bless him, Lord. And Gabriel was saying, it's a lady. It's a lady. I'm like, okay. Third time's a charm, right? So I bless that. So I say, what's your name? And they say something like Vendretto. I, I can't remember the name, to be honest. Something like this. Something that isn't common in England. So I turned to Pastor Gabriel. I was like, is that a man or woman's name? I have no, I have no idea. I need some help here. It was a horrible moment, but I definitely looked the most silly of the whole evening uh, because everyone was finding it funny anyways. It's because they had beanies on and they had short hair, and I, I, I wasn't really looking. I'm sure, not that you would want a pastor who comes and assesses the gender of a person, but I'm sure if I was really looking, I could have worked it out. But I was just really just praying, and um, three back-to-back, -back, I thought, only I would do this. Only I can go to a city and offend the city within the first 30 minutes of being over the border. Um, and it's kind of funny because there's this old woman there, uh, Angelica. I've got a picture of her here. Angelica, a remarkable woman. She's like 85 years old, um, uh, a lovely woman, um, uh, just one of those giants of the faith. And um, bearing in mind that with my translator, I'd been preaching for about an hour. Um, Pastor Gabriel said to me, uh, she's a bit immobile, but she would like prayer. And I'm like, okay, so I go and pray for her. And um, essentially, she's got pain all in her body. So I'm praying for this pain just to subside in Jesus' name. And, um, and she's got one of these little, like, husky, is it husky voices? Is that the right thing? Like, well, she kind of talks like this, but not in English. She's kind of Romanian. So she's saying, like, <laughs> so she's whispering into Gabriel, like, all this sort of stuff. I didn't need to hear it because I couldn't understand it anyways, but he needed to hear it. And she said, can you ask him to pray for my hearing? <laughs> this is my translation. Um, you know, my hearing isn't good. So I start praying for her hearing, and I'm just praying, Jesus, we just, you know. And it's a weird thing when you pray for a really old person because, like, you're just like, you know, in some ways, actually, forget it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I was going to say heaven's a good option too, basically. You know what I mean? That's what I was going to say. Um, 
I'm just being honest. I just think like, you know, eventually we are going to go to heaven and that's a great thing. But, you know, she had faith, so I'm praying for her, praying for hearing. And she's saying to Gabriel, she's saying, and he's, he's saying, oh, okay. She's, she's saying to you, Dom, can you speak louder? She, she can hear it. So I'm now praying. And, and it's so funny because now I'm praying louder. She turns to Gabriel and says something else. She says, um, and he laughs. And I say, well, what, what's so funny? And he said, oh, don't worry about it. I said, no, I want to know what she said <laughs> that made you laugh so much. Bearing in mind, I'd been preaching for about an hour. I'd been praying over her directly for 10 minutes. She turned to Pastor Gabriel and says, uh, Gabriel, I don't think this boy's Romanian. <laughs> <laughs> so it just shows how impactful my ministry was on the road in Romania that, you know, I'd preach my heart out. And she assumed I was Romanian the whole time. <laughs> Interesting. You know, I was thinking about that, this, this story this week. Um, just thinking about how often are we like that with the voice of God, with the presence of God, that actually we're in the room, but we miss it. We're, we're in the room and we're in a moment, but somehow we fail to pick up on what God is saying and what God is doing. And whereas other people seem to be having a real significant God encounter, we can feel almost on the outside of that. We, we can feel like, wow, God seems to be really moving for everyone else, but why isn't he moving for me. And so today I really want to talk about this. I've given this title The Presence Revolution because I want us to think about how do we um, become increasingly aware of the presence of God and how can we welcome the presence of God into our lives. And there's three questions I'm going to seek to answer uh, in the rest of this message, just in case you're making notes. The first question is, what is the presence of God? The second question is, why do I need the presence of God? And the third question is, how can I become aware and live in the presence of God? Now, let me just say this. It's possible to live a version of the Christian life without the presence of God. I actually think people do it all the time. It's, it's where churches move into a, a religious, monotonous, routine cold expression of their beliefs, and it's not saturated in the spirit. Uh, I think, how often do we live without the presence of God in our homes? How often do we live without the presence of God being central to our work life and to our parenting? How much of a focus, just to make this really personal for you, is the presence of God in your life? Is the presence of God an optional aside? Is it just like something that's pleasant and something that maybe we hear spoken about on a Sunday when we say let's enter his presence together or is it something that is totally prioritized in your life and there's just this consciousness that Lord I don't want to do one more day without your presence being at the heart of everything I'm doing. When I was 17 uh, my friend dragged me to an evangelism rally in the West Midlands. Um, he was a Christian and although I'd grown up in a Christian uh, household uh, Jesus wasn't real for me. Um, and so I, I, I respected the Christian faith. I, um, I championed the values that my mom and dad had because I thought they were good values, even though I fell short of them most of the time. And um, one occasion where my friends had come to this rally with me, and I remember sitting in this room, and there was an American preacher who was probably about 142, 143. He was quite old, right on the platform, and I didn't really engage with anything he was saying, but at the end, he gave an altar call. He says, if anybody wants to give their life to Jesus tonight, now's the opportunity. And you may have grown up, he said, in a Christian home, and I just sense tonight that God wants to bring you into an encounter with him. And I almost felt awkward for him, because I was like, oh, this is so awkward. 
you know, there's absolutely no sense that God is here. I, I wasn't feeling anything. And just in that moment, even with the hardness of heart, what I felt something say inside of me, which I know now to be the Holy Spirit, said, you must get up and walk to the altar. That's what I felt inside. And I was like, but no one else is going. I don't really want to go. This is embarrassing. This is awkward. But I was grappling with this idea that there was such an internal awareness of something in this moment that was beyond my own consciousness. It was beyond my own mind thinking, you must do this. It felt like it was otherworldly, like there was an authority speaking into the depths of my soul saying, you're going to get up and you're going to move. And I remember just thinking, well, you know, life is good, but it's not great. You know, I was dabbling with things I shouldn't have been dabbling with. Um, and so I thought, what's the worst that can happen? And so I get up out of my seat and I start walking down. There was tiered seatings. There was probably about five or 600 people there. And I start walking down the tiered seatings like this. Um, and there was probably about another 40 yards to the platform. I'm not making this up. And as I'm walking to the platform, I'm about 20 yards away. And boom. <laughs> and you're thinking, what happened? Did a car come through the wall? No. The presence of God hit me. I was about 20 yards away. This person hadn't even touched me. There was none of this manipulative, receive the Holy Spirit with a little push. There was a sense of, I was walking with a relative stubbornness, just going, there's something inside of me telling me I need to respond, and so I'm going to respond. And as I'm walking, it's like I just walk into a wall. And, and what happened in that moment is I couldn't stand. It's the weirdest thing. I was just like literally forced down to the ground like this. And I was on my knees and, and all of a sudden, for those of you who know me, I'm not particularly emotional. I don't, I don't cry that often. Um, but, but in this moment, what happened is as soon as I hit the floor, I realized I was so unclean. And you're thinking, what is this about? Basically, in this moment, the presence of God, I, I don't know whether... God, God's presence descended and came on me or whether I just because there was a willingness in my heart to move I became aware that God's presence was there I don't know which way around it was but make no mistake about it what was the outcome the outcome was for the first time in my life I feel like a wretch which is almost at odds with the Christian message that we often proclaim because typically what we preach is, you're worth it, man. You're amazing. You know, just give your life to Jesus and it's like a nice, nice little side order of chips to your main course and you're going to smash it out the park. For me, what it was is, oh my word, I'm a mess. But yet there was nothing in my life that really looked that messy on paper. My mom and dad were together. I had a relatively good, I had a great childhood. I, I had... I was going to say loving siblings. Let's just say I had siblings, okay? <laughs> and at times they expressed love to me. And I, I didn't come from an extremely dysfunctional home. I hadn't experienced abuse. I, hadn't, I was 17, and although I'd done silly things, I never really hurt anyone. And so there was a sense of self-righteousness as I was walking to the altar, but then I hit the presence of God, and man, man I'm undone. Yeah. I'm a real mess. Because I think what had happened in that moment is I became aware of the brilliance of God for the first time in my life. What we would now call the holiness of God. This sense that like this was so real and his presence was so perfect that as I walked into this space, I was just like, and, and literally I was weeping, I was crying, I was pouring out my heart and I didn't know what to say and I was just saying, sorry, sorry Lord, sorry God. 
sorry. And, and although I didn't know what that was, obviously now I know that's repentance. That was a repentant heart. But it's the weirdest thing because for so long, you know, my dad had obviously faithfully taught me the scriptures and faithfully had, had, had shown me the gospel truth that we are sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. I, I knew that from an understanding point of view, but I didn't feel it from a soul point of view. That like this is something that happens that people can't educate you into. You know, that, that Paul says in the scriptures, he says, when I came to you, I didn't come with persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. It's interesting because let's just say Sophie Parker, the legend that is, is walking away from God. If I can compel her to give her life to Christ based on a good compelling argument, that's only good until she hears a greater compelling argument tomorrow at work. Whereas if she experiences the presence of God in her life, well, that's a game changer. Because now all of a sudden, it's no longer just a, a conceptual idea that I'm understanding with my brain. It's a, oh my Lord, I need help. <laughs> and it's funny because I was on the floor like this and I was just, I, it wasn't just like a, um, I don't know, like a little sob, like a cute little, <laughs> it wasn't like that. It wasn't like watching a wedding. It was like a puddle of mess on the floor. And some shaking as well, just because I realized for so long, for so long, I just, I just misunderstood the presence of God. It's possible to live the Christian life, though, without that. It's possible to reach a level of morality and a level of good church existence. You know, one of my biggest observations when we came into COVID as a church was that I think for too much time we'd been discipling people to churchianity. Where church was the focal point of their Christian walk. And sure, we preached Christ and we tried to do it to the best of our ability but still, even when you heard testimonies of baptisms, it was all about how awesome Sunny Hill is. How great the people of Sunny Hill were. And all those things are amazing. I'm not trying to undermine those things. But there's a sense of this side of COVID, and I don't really like talking about COVID that much because it's old news and I hate the thing, right? But ultimately, this side of all of that trauma that was, there's a resolve. People need Jesus. People need to see Jesus People need to hear Jesus. People need to be in the presence of Jesus because Jesus is able to do in 10 minutes what could take us 10 years of pastoring. You know, Jesus can do in one marriage, in one moment, what would take a thousand pounds worth of therapy. You know, Jesus is able to do in a split second what the best surgeons and doctors of the country can kind of muster in terms of medical care. And, and, and really, the sense for me is the presence of revolution today is just recentering the church on the hunger and appetite for the presence of God. To actually not be content to just do churchianity, but actually to do Christianity, where Christ is at the center, where he is glorified, where he is worshipped, but also where he's experienced and encountered. Let me read this, Exodus 33, Moses. Moses, uh, Louise's favorite man in the scriptures. I was going to say favorite man. Second favorite man, okay. Hey, dude. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. I thought you were coming to pray for me. Lord, help this preacher. 
He clearly doesn't have a clue what he's doing. He's losing the plot, and everyone's wondering why are they here. Um, thank you, John. Appreciate it. Let's give John a round of applause. He's a legend. All the podcasters will be very pleased you just did that. So uh, thank you for that. Exodus 33, Moses. John, come back. Put it back. Just tweak it. Okay, I'll play with it. Exodus, I'll move that behind me. Exodus 33, that was like a, that must probably like to have long hair. I won't do that again. Like as a, as a lady. Like, ooh, just throw that back behind me. Oh, no, no, it's getting messy. Exodus 33, Moses is leading the people of God. And I would say that he's a fairly reluctant leader um, because leading people is hard and he had first-hand experience. I think often when people look at leadership, they see the benefit but not the burden. They, they see, I mean, some people may see what I'm doing today saying, oh, one day I'd love to do that. That's cool. And this is a small part of it. Some of you are going, I'd hate to do that. You know, we're all different personalities. But often people think leadership is cool because it's like, it's some measure of um, power, let's say that you know, in our dysfunctional outlook, or maybe it's some form of control, and if we're power-hungry, controlling people, leadership looks desirable. The problem is, trying to lead the church sometimes is like herding cats, that, you know, you, you realize when you're trying to lead, actually, I don't have that much power in their life, I don't, definitely don't have that much control in their life, because they would make different decisions if I did, um, and Moses essentially has this daunting task of leading the people of God into the purposes and plans of God. For those of you who have been a Christian a little while, you know this already. But for those who don't, basically Israel were enslaved to Egypt for hundreds of years. And God raises Moses because God wants his people free to worship God. And in Egypt, they couldn't do that. They were slaves. And so God raises Moses. But the problem is Moses gets to a critical point in Exodus 33 where he's pulling his hair out with the people because people are complaining, people are moaning. And I know we don't do that here, but just work with me, okay? People were, like, losing the plot. Um, in some cases, people were um, committing idolatry because they were just so desperate because they thought maybe life in Egypt was better than it is now in this liberty on the tour, on tour. And so... Moses prays this heartfelt prayer in verse 12. He says this, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Like Moses is looking at the physical problem and he's assuming in some way there must be a physical solution. Like there must be another leader in the wings. There must be another person that you're going to raise up to help me do this. Now, of course, we know there was Aaron and Hur, but I think in this moment, when you look at the original text, what Moses is essentially asking for is an A-list, a superstar preacher. Moses is asking for somebody who is prominent, who is powerful, who is maybe not just assist, but be an aid and total support to leading the people of God. And then so Moses carries on. You have not let me know whom you're going to send with me. You said, I know you by name and that you have found favor with me. And then he prays this in verse 13. But if you're pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And then Moses offers a reminder to God. Remember that this nation is your people. <laughs> These are your people, not my people. Sometimes this is like my prayer life for Sunny Hill. You've probably heard me pray it before. Lord, this is your church. Because I almost need to absolve myself of total responsibility and say, God, this is your church that you're building. I'm just an underling. I'm a servant. You're the pastor. You're the lead pastor. So do with it what you want. And Moses is saying, remember that this nation is your people. And then verse 14, the Lord replies to Moses. He says, my presence will go with you. 
and I will give you rest. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Moses says, whom are you going to send with me? And Moses says, I'm coming. Uh, God says, I'm coming. <laughs> and I like, <laughs> I like Moses' revelation here in verse 15. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. As in Moses is saying, well, I thought that was a given, to be honest. Like, I thought that was assumed that you'd kind of be coming on road with us. <laughs> but he says, listen, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us on from here. Verse 16, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Essentially, in this moment, God is saying to Moses, I'm going to come with you, and I'm all you need. I want to extend that kind of concept to you today. For those who feel like they're just struggling through a season, like, is God all you need? Or is it God plus someone else? Is it God plus that dream spouse? Or God plus a child that I long for? Or God plus that promotion? Or God plus a million pounds? Or God plus an opportunity? God is saying to Moses, I will go with you. And I will give you rest. So what is the presence of God? And what is it that Moses is asking for in this moment? Well, there's really two realities of the presence of God. The unconscious presence of God and the conscious presence of God. I'm going to unpack those briefly just so you understand what I mean. If you look at Psalm 139, verse 7 to 8, we read about the unconscious presence of God. Where the psalmist David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Essentially, the psalmist is saying is that you're an omnipresent God. You are everywhere all of the time. There's not one place that exists on earth or in heaven or in the depths where your presence does not reside, okay? It's the unconscious presence of God, the fact that God is everywhere. God is here now. God is actually in this room now. God is out there now. God is in Romania now. God is an omnipresent God. In one moment, someone can experience him here. And in the same moment, someone can experience him there because the unconscious presence of God is the presence of God that exists everywhere. But I want to speak about the conscious presence of God. This is the presence of God that you are aware of. This is the presence of God that you feel, that you experience. The most common Hebrew term for presence is panim. Everybody say panim. And it translates as face, the face, implying a close and personal encounter with the Lord. An encounter where you experience something of his face. Remember the priestly blessing that was prayed by the priest in the Old Testament every single day over the people of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's interesting, you know, um, I, I've been going on travels quite a lot in my life, um, you know, for the kingdom purposes. And, you know, there was times where I do, do trips to Burma and Uganda. And back when I was doing that, when the kids were very young, FaceTime was not a thing. 
And so you really felt the distance because, because even though you could speak on the phone, you couldn't get a sense of what was happening in the home. And so there was always a disconnect. But in the last few years, FaceTime or WhatsApp video messaging has been a game changer for communication. Because even though it's not the same as being in the room, being able to see the face even through a screen, even like a dim reflection of the real thing, it actually makes you feel like you're closer to them. And, and, and I guess there's this sense that like God invites us to seek his face. And, and it's not like through a secondary monitor that points to God, but it's actually through the scriptures and it's also in prayer that we actually seek his face. Bill Johnson, a preacher who I, I like quite a lot, he says, so often the church is content to seek the hand of God, as in what can I get from God? As in like, God, would you just bless me with this? And often this is what our prayer life is like. Lord, can I get this? Can I get that? Lord, uh, you know, I really need a shift here. Lord, can you do it? And we're seeking the hand of God, but really we should be seeking the face of God. Because when we seek the face of God, his hand is never far away. Whereas actually we can come to God like some cosmic vending machine, <laughs> asking him to say, well, can you address all these things in my life? Whereas actually if we come with an earnest desire just to seek his face, it's amazing the blessing that follows that heart of pursuit. And so the presence of God, as per the Old Testament for the most part, is panim, which is you are seeking the face of God. You're experiencing the face of God shining on you. You know, when, when I'm trying to have an um, intimate time, you know, maybe with my kids or, or my wife or whatever, if I'm looking everywhere else other than their eyes, if they're seeing every other part of me other than my face, then there's a sense of disconnect. And so when I'm trying to bring encouragement or correction, often I will get down to their level and I'll make sure that I'm looking in their face and that they're seeing my face because even just seeing my face can bring reassurance and affirmation. There's this sense that like when we are seeking the presence of God, what we're saying is, Lord, I, I want to see your face. And God's face is fixed on us. The presence of God. Knowing his favor. His favor is on us. It's something we experience. Like that day in the Midlands when I was 17, walking down, I think simply what had happened is, I saw a glimpse of his face and I immediately felt unclean and undone in his presence. This me on to the second question is, why do I need that in my life? Why do I need his presence in my life? Well, the truth is, as a human being, you were never meant to be without it. Like, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't profess to be a Christian then maybe you've never experienced other than what you have known. But for every person who has experienced God in some way and has given their life to him, the Bible essentially says that our spirit is made alive in him. That something that was dead from the day we were born actually came alive in Christ and actually changed our, not just trajectory, but our outlook and our demeanor and countenance. Because back right at the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, there was a sense that at the very center of their existence, he would reside. It infers in Genesis 3, verse 8, that God would walk with Adam. God would literally be present with Adam, and they would see each other face to face in the Garden of Eden. 
And this spoke to the human's worth and value because it wouldn't just be Adam and Eve taking on the world. It would be Adam, Eve, and God together. You know, God being a community himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living in perfect unity with one another. But then we know that the serpent... Satan, in the form of the serpent, comes into the garden and tempts Adam and Eve into chaos by questioning the Word of God. And essentially what happens is Adam and Eve, it says that their eyes were open, if you like. And and in in an instant, it's a horrific thing that happens, but in an instant, Adam and Eve had known had known perfect union with the Father and the presence of the Father, but in the very next instance were moved out of the Garden of Eden and were separated from the life of God. You know, typically in in life, we start as a non-Christian and we get saved and we become alive. Adam and Eve's was the reverse experience of that. They started alive and they became dead. Imagine the next day when you wake up just feeling like, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like (laughs) I'm breathing. And, and I'm present, but there's something missing. But we know after that point, every man, woman, child, everybody who is born is born into sin, is born with a, a spirit that is not breathing. And, and they, they, they are conditioned by a world, and they grow up in a world thinking this is the extent of the experience that's available to them. That like, and this is why Satan has got many people to buy into the lie. That's why if I get more money, then I can buy that house. And that will be the thing that brings meaning to my life. Or if I can get that girl or that boy, then that will give meaning to my life. Or if I can reach um, the, the, the lofty heights of success, then, then maybe that will speak to my identity and it will give me value and worth. But the problem is, is every time, uh, in some ways, there's nothing more sad than seeing somebody with everything realize that they've got nothing. People who have a limitless supply of funds, people who have the houses, people who have the social circles, but yet a realization that there's still something outside of their reach. Like, I just need to, you know, I think about this. Like, I see a boat at Sandbanks, and every summer I do the same thing when I go to the beach with my family, is I sit on this glorious beach and I go on Gumtree looking at how much boats cost. (laughs) And essentially what I'm trying to do is sell the vision to Louise. Louise, I know like a second mortgage sounds like a really dumb idea, but just imagine the wind in your hair. Imagine just sunbathing on the bow of a boat. Imagine me just diving with my six-pack gloriously into the lapping waves. Normally, the vision does not get sold to Louise at all, because what we realize is there's a cost of the dream, and typically the cost at this point is £3,000. Because I would not pay for it to be harbored. I'd have to tow it, so I'd get one with a trailer and all this sort of stuff. And I'd be loving life. I'd come out because I can see it. I'd drop it in at Beta Park, and I'd go around the left-hand side of Brown Sea Island, and I'd come out onto the open waters, and, and maybe I'd take a barbecue, and, and I'd want a four-birth one because a six-birth is a bit too excessive for a pastor, but a four-birth is totally reasonable. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, I'd maybe fish with my kids. Maybe I don't really like fishing, but it just looks like that's the dream. Like, just cast our rods over the side and just see what happens. Because at last, now we find meaning in one another's company. Until someone drives a sunseeker past us. (laughs) And now, all of a sudden, this boat's lame. (laughs) They've got two cockpits on their boat. They can drive it from the roof, and they can drive it from inside. That's the dream. And that's, that's the reality of sin, is that the next level up always looks more appealing. But in theory, when you give your life to Christ, you're free from the rat race of that unquenchable desire and thirst for more. 
Because all of a sudden you go, I get it. Or we should do it be like this. I get it. Life isn't about the accumulation of stuff. Life, yeah, it's shocking, isn't it? Life is not about kind of getting that million-dollar home. Life is not about fancy social circles. Life is about worshiping God. Life is about finding all that I need in His presence. To not look for the face of Elon Musk or to not look for the face of Claudia Shiver. That's dating me a great deal right now. <laughs> a model, right? Not looking for the face of Justin Bieber <laughs> or Taylor Swift. I know there's some Taylor Swift fans in the room. But just looking for the face of God. Because in that moment, when I'm undone in his presence, what does the boat really mean? What does the house mean? What do the people mean? It's this sense of when we come to Christ, we have the reverse of the Adam and Eve. We were dead, but now we're alive. I love the song we started with today, Glorious Day. I ran out of the grave. Because until that point that we asked Jesus to come into our life, we were just fanning around in the grave. Just playing kings in the grave. Isn't it awesome in here? No, it sucks. But now I've seen Jesus and I can't go back. I ran out of the grave. Hence why we dance and we get expressive in our worship because... That gospel, at least it should be true for us. That like, I can have nothing, and yet I found everything. It's an amazing place. Why do I need the presence of God? Because it reconnects us to Him. Let me just give you three things just to help drive this home. God's presence, first and foremost, brings you peace. Brings you peace. I think that was one of the things that was disrupted in the Garden of Eden. The peace of God uh, was void. I've, I've preached on peace before because you can't have peace in the world until you have peace with God. So many of us think that if I just had peace with my colleague or I had peace with my spouse, then I would have peace. But it doesn't work like that because actually you have to make peace with with the one you're indebted to. David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. So even though I may have committed a trespass against my wife, first and foremost, the trespass is before God. So I make peace here. How do I do that? I'll get onto that in a minute. But I make peace with God, and now I experience the peace of God that surpasses understanding. Second of all, God's presence brings you joy. Brings you joy. Listen, we should be the most joyful people in Paul. We should be. I was saying this to Pastor Gabriel this week because typically the Romanians look a bit more, not always, but look a bit more, their countenance a bit more miserable maybe. And I was saying like, and it's funny because Gabriel would be really fun in the car because it's a cultural thing. Gabriel would be really fun in the car. We'd be laughing the whole way. We drove for 10 hours on Sunday from Hungary to Romania to preach at church. And as soon as he starts introducing church, he turns into miser miserable Gabriel. So like we were laughing in the car. Oh, this is awesome. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And then he picks up. Right, right, welcome to church. Let's worship God together. Like all of a sudden, there's just a... And I'm saying, oh, the joy. The joy is a thing that really shifts 
people. You know what I said in Exodus 33 about, I'm not holding a mic, so I don't know why I'm doing that. I'm just in the zone. I'm just embracing one, two. This mic's rubbish. That, that Moses says, how else will people know? Like, what will distinguish us from the rest? Unless your presence goes with us. Why? Because the presence of God changes your demeanor. Changes your demeanor. Psalm 1611 says this, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. In his presence, there is the fullness of joy. I love what Nehemiah says to the people who are depressed as they're rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. He says, now is not the time to mourn. He says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Like if you are feeling weak, I think one of the greatest kind of uh, antidote to that is the presence of God, not just because the presence of God brings supernatural strength, but because actually it brings a lightness of spirit. There's a joy that is on the inside that longs to come forth. And when you're in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And finally, the presence of God brings you rest. Rest. I love what God says to Moses in Exodus 33, 14. My presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And let me just quantify what I'm saying by this. Unmerited favor, which provides you with security. Just too many insecure Christians... Too many Christians who look too similar to the world in the sense of they're still looking for affirmation from the wrong places. R.T. Kendall, a well-known Bible scholar, a great thinker, he says this quote, and it should be on the screen, hopefully. It may not come on, but maybe it will. It says, the more conscious I am of God's presence, the more I feel like being myself. The less conscious I am of his presence, the more I feel like I need to prove myself. As I experience the faith of God, and Matthew, do you want to come up on the keys? As I experience the, 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 the face of God on me, it brings a rest and it brings a sense of security that I no longer need to prove myself. I can be who God has made me to be. There are so many more points that I'd like to present, but I really don't have the time. I have done a video version of this message that's available on uh, Facebook on Sunny Hill Church Facebook page and also the YouTube channel. And there's a bit more teaching unpacking some of those things about the benefits of knowing the presence of God in your life. But I'm not going to do that right now. I'm just going to land with this. How can I become aware and live in the presence of God? How can I become aware and live in the presence of God? And as I've said a few times, I am deep down inside a Baptist trying to get out of a Pentecostal preacher's body, okay? I'm a Baptist, which means I've got three points that all begin with the letter R, okay? R, like a pirate, okay? The first is this, is the presence of God comes when I repent. Repentance. That's the angels singing for you. As I repent... God draws near to me. James 4 verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What James is saying is that we are to draw near to God. And how do we draw near to God? We get real with God. We repent. We own the sin in our life. We say, God, I'm aware that like, I've missed the mark big time. I'm aware that every kind of thought that I think is fallen and in some way it, it is at odds with who you are. And so repentance is an acknowledgement of that reality and of that work in your life. 
But it's not just a confession, it's a posture shift. So repentance, and listen to this, young people, this is important. Uh, Not because young people sin more than anyone else, but just because I need you to understand what repentance looks like. It is not just like saying sorry to mom and dad and then keep on doing what you were doing yesterday. That is not repentance, okay? That's, That's called youthfulness, okay? Repentance is, I'm sorry, and now in light of my sorry, I'm going to choose different. I'm going to, I'm going to make different decisions. I'm going to turn my back on what was. So to repent before God is not to say sorry for stealing. That's a start. But it's not to say sorry for stealing and then keep on stealing. Repentance, true repentance, is to be broken over the stealing and to say, I never want to do that again. And so I turned my back. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. But actually, you understand that in order to draw the favor of God, I must repent and I must live in, what is the next point beginning with that? I must live righteously. So righteous, God's presence is experienced when we live righteous lives. God is drawn to a life that is consecrated, that is holy. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things that you worry about will be addressed and added to you. In Leviticus and 1 Peter, the scriptures say, Be holy as he is holy. It means to be different as he is different. Prioritize meeting with God through reading scripture, prayer and worship. You know, as a church, we work hard to try and give you the tools to build a life of godliness. We've got Kevin Sissons who works hard to make the Bible reading plan happen and it's amazing and it's a gift but like we can do all those things but ultimately it's only us who can determine I'm going to engage with that and I'm going to build a life that is righteous you know we can do prayer weeks but unless we understand that prayer changes everything can prayer can really change the trajectory of my life and the church and more than that it glorifies God then ultimately it's just another event happening in the church calendar so we must Prioritize righteousness. And then the third R is this, relationships. This bit's really important. Community is central to experiencing the presence of God. You need Christians in your life to experience the presence of God to the fullest measure. You could say, hey, Dom, can't I experience the presence of God when I watch God TV? Yeah, you can. You can. Can I experience God when I read a great book that like, is glorifying him? Yes, you can. But the scripture says, in Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus says, where two or more gather in my name, there am I with them. The Old Testament says, where people dwell in unity, where brothers and sisters dwell in unity, God instructs a blessing. God commands a blessing. Community and relationships. Colin spoke about this last week. The priority of these things actually speaks to the fullest measure of God's presence that we can experience in our corporate acts of worship. I want to be part of a church that experiences the presence of God together. I want to be part of a church that my, that my kids grow up in where, where the presence of God is a norm, where the sense of God moving in the room and in people is not something that happened four, five, six years ago, but something that happens on a regular basis, on a weekly basis. And, and I guess what I want to say to us as Sunhillites is that we can determine that because, because God's presence is here. 
God wants to meet with his people. He has always wanted to meet with his people. Even after Adam and Eve sinned, God instituted the sacrificial system, the tabernacle, the temple, because God longed to be in the presence of his people. And so, like, as a church, can we resolve to build a community that is repentant, righteous, and building healthy relationships that cause God's presence to be truly felt? Listen, you cannot truly be present until God is truly present in you. There's a version of life, but it's not the life that Jesus spoke about. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Have it to the full. There's a life available for you today. If you don't know Jesus, friend, there is a life available for you today to step into, to come alive to in Christ. And it changes the way you think. It changes the way you see. It changes the way you feel. But actually, the, the, the mandate on the church is not to just have a one-off experience, but to constantly live in that reality under the face of God. It's an amazing invitation. It's an amazing invitation. So let's bow our heads just for a moment. I'm going to invite the band to come up. Jesus. With every eye closed and head bowed, this is important. I just want to create an opportunity for people this morning who, who don't know Jesus to respond to the good news of Jesus. The good news is good because the bad news is bad. And the bad news is that outside of Christ, there is no life. There is no future. But in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. There's an opportunity today for you to respond to that gospel good news and say, Jesus, I want you, I want you to be the center of my life. And if you'd like to, I'm not going to embarrass you by getting you to come down the front, but I do want you to raise your hand where you are this morning. If you feel like there's a something inside like I had when I was 17 that just says you need to respond to that you need to respond you need you need Jesus I just want to encourage you just where you are just to raise your hands where you are I want to pray for you I'm not going to embarrass you but I do want to pray for you I'll give it a few moments praise God Praise God. Praise God. Let's just remain in space. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that your presence is so sweet. And in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And Father, I thank you for our friends today who are responding in this moment, Lord. We celebrate their decision. 
the scripture says in Luke 15, when one sinner repents, listen to this, when one sinner repents, when one person decides I'm going to follow Jesus, it says that all of heaven rejoices. It says the angels almost like stop in their tracks and go, can you see what's happening? This is a massive day for one person. That's what heaven does. That's how important you are to God today. And so if you've raised your hands where you are today, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to invite you to pray after me. But I want everybody in the room, if you know Jesus, you pray this prayer with me as well, just because it makes it less awkward for those praying out loud. But just pray this prayer after me. Now listen, this prayer is not magic. All we're simply doing is confessing with our mouth what's going on in our heart. That's all we're doing. And that's why the scripture says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So the confession of the mouth is just a confession of what's going on on the inside, okay? And equally, this is just the start. This is not the end. So it's not about giving your life to Christ and then going back and living the same. Essentially, what you're saying is, Jesus, I'm asking you to be the king of my heart. I'm asking you to come and save me because I realize that I'm a sinner desperately in need of your forgiveness, desperately in need of grace. And then we start building on that decision from today onwards. And so just repeat these words after me if your hand was raised and just repeat them loudly and just declare them. Jesus, right now, I acknowledge that I am broken. I acknowledge that I am sinful. I acknowledge that I need a saviour. And I recognise that you are him. Thank you for coming to this world. And living the life I couldn't live. And dying the death that I deserved. So that when I put my faith in you. I could experience your resurrection. Jesus, I ask you now, come into my heart, renew my mind, cause me to see your face. May I live under the face of your presence all the days of my life. I commit myself to you now. And when I say amen, church, I want us to replicate some of that party in heaven and celebration in heaven. For if one person, one person turns to Christ, that is worthy of an absolute praise party. Okay. In Jesus' name, all God's people said amen. Come on. Come on. Jesus. Jesus, you're worthy. Let's stand to our feet. Come on. Jesus, you're worthy. You're worthy. Come on, raise your hands wherever you are. Raise your hands. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's a light for our path. It's a lamp for our feet. And God, I pray, Father, that as you build this church, Jesus would be central and that your presence would be experienced on a daily basis for your glory and for our building. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Let's declare this song together. Come on, let's worship God.